If you don't have a Bible, it should be printed on the screen behind me. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of this chapter together. You can follow along as I read it. Remember, this is God's Word. You might not know why in the world you're here. You might not know what you really need. But this morning, God has purpose that all of us need to hear this. So let's give our attention to it, because it comes from Him. This comes from God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we read this, this section of verses and perhaps there's much here that doesn't make a lot of sense. There's certainly a lot here, Lord, that had incredible significance to the original audience that we just don't think about in the same way. So Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand these words, understand what they mean, understand the concepts and how all of this is absolutely relevant in our lives. And all things, Lord, please show us your Son. Holy Spirit, show us Christ here in this passage. Not just so we can say that we talked about the Lord Jesus this morning, but show us Christ. Show Christ to our hearts in such a way that our Jesus is irresistible again. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Don't forget that God has a plan. God has a plan to take his glory and to spread his glory throughout the entire world. It's true. That's how the message of the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus made it from about the year 30 A.D. all the way to this little town in Philippi. God has a plan to spread his glory throughout the world. That means as we sit here this morning or stand here this morning, that we are 
continuing to see God spread his glory throughout the world. We are connected to what went on in the first century. We are connected as Christ Presbyterian Church to the church at Philippi. And about 10 years after the church was founded in Philippi, about 10 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi. He loved them. He loved them. The church was not perfect any more than we are perfect. But he wrote this letter to them from prison. He had been hearing about what is going on. He had received communications from them. He cared about the churches that God used him to plant. He cared about the spread of God's glory. He cared about this church. And even though we're here in chapter 3, don't forget, don't forget the main purpose. Paul gives us the letter of Philippians because he wants us to understand that the gospel is life. He wanted the church to remember that the gospel is life. He wants us to remember this morning that the gospel is life. That's the purpose of this whole book. The gospel is life. As you can tell, we're past the introduction, we're past the greeting, we're all the way in chapter 3. And it seems as though as we look at these 11 verses this morning that there was something that was troubling the Apostle Paul. It seems like there's something that is giving him great concern. It seems as though the church had kind of taken its eye and taken its focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as though the believers in this little church began to think that there was something more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this happens to us as well, right? At times in our lives we think, well, yes, I've received the Lord Jesus Christ, so now I just need to get on to something else. Sometimes we think this is when I just need new techniques or a new method or a new strategy on how to do something. Our distraction is expressed by not thinking centrally about the Lord Jesus. Other times we think, well, we're just more mature, So we've already heard about all the Jesus things, so now we need something else. We need to move beyond. Sometimes we just get bored with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul can sense that something is going on in the church, and so he writes to them to tell them that, look, don't add anything to the gospel. Don't add anything to the significance of Jesus Christ. Entrusting yourself to the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus is everything. It's everything. It's the most important thing, and it's what we need all the time. It's not that what Christ has done isn't enough. And so we have to add something to it. We have to add something to it. Maybe at times we think, well, if we just add something to the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is what will make my walk with Christ real. This is what will make it real. I'm in this rut, and Christ isn't really fresh to me, so I need to add something to make my life with him real. We do this in all sorts of ways, don't we? Sometimes it's Christ plus, I don't know, our political views. Sometimes it's Christ plus our particular style of worship. Sometimes it's Christ plus our view of baptism or our view of church government. Sometimes it's Christ plus whatever, tongues, gifts. It's always something that we want to add. You can fill in the blank. We always want to add something. So Paul then turns to focus our attention 
on what's really important. Paul in these verses is getting at our hearts. He's focusing our attention on this big idea of righteousness. He's saying, I know that you're distracted. I can tell. So you need to focus again on this idea of righteousness. Now, we don't really think about this idea in this term a lot. We don't usually verbalize this idea of righteousness at all. Maybe you can think of righteousness, maybe you can think of a synonym of righteousness like this, a right standing. So as you're thinking about your life, you might begin to think, well, what is the right way that I interact with people around me? What is the right way for me to interact with the world? What is the right way for me to view myself? What is the right way for me to think about my relationship with God? Righteousness is asking us to think about the right standing and how we relate to everything. If you want to go a little bit deeper, it's how you look at yourself. It's how you define yourself. It's how you make up who you are. We always are expressing our identity. You see, that's what he's really getting at. Righteousness, standing, how we think about others, how we relate to everybody, how we think of who we are, how we define ourselves. He's talking about identity. We usually express our identity in two ways, don't we? On the one hand, it's the mask. You know, we're not really happy with how we know we really are. We're not really excited about what's inside. We don't really like what we see. And so we have a tendency when we relate to others to put on a mask. And we try to project what we wish we really were. We try to project what we wish we really are. We kind of project what we would maybe like others we think others would like us to be. We have this mask. We express our identity through a mask. We know it's not real, but we hope that others will think that our mask is real. On the other hand, it's a delusion. Everybody else around us knows exactly what we are and who we are. But we're trying to convince ourselves that we're something else. Those of you that like sports, remember Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player that ever lived, at least up till now? Do you remember how many times he retired and then came back to play? Yeah, everybody knew that he was too old to play. Everybody knows that he was no longer the best player in the league the last however many years, however many times he decided to return from his retirement. Everybody knew that he was too old. Not him. He was trying to establish a delusion. He was trying to convince himself that he was still better than everybody else. He just wasn't anymore. Many of you all know friends or acquaintances or coworkers or neighbors that are in their 30s or 40s, but yet they're still hanging on to their high school dream. Everybody knows that they're an adult. Everybody knows that they're grown up, but yet they are trying to delude themselves into thinking. Well, I'm just not really going to grow up ever. I still am going to live my high school dream. Playing the church league basketball term, you know, I see that all the time. You know, I was just one decision away from a coach making the right decision. I would be in the NBA right now. You do realize that. 
It's either a mask or delusion. We're trying to convince other people of what we wish we were because we know we're not. Or we're trying to convince ourselves because everybody else knows who we really are. So the Apostle Paul talks about righteousness because he's ultimately getting at identity. He's wanting us to think about how you define yourself. And if you're really interested in trying to find out your identity, if you're really willing to be here this morning and think about your identity, you can ask yourself and answer some of these questions. Who, who, who or what am I listening to that tells me what's right or wrong? What am I listening to that defines what's right and what's wrong? And you see, this goes across the board, whether you're here this morning and you believe, or whether you're here this morning and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you listening to that tells you what's right and wrong? What are you listening to that tells you what you should do and what you shouldn't do? Who is your authority? Who ultimately is defining the way you look at reality? Maybe another way, if you're willing to really think, is what is it that if I lost it, I would not know who I was? What is it that when things go really, really well, my confidence is through the roof? And when that thing, whatever it is, doesn't go that well or isn't happening, then all of my insecurities skyrocket. And I don't know what to do. And if you really want to get serious, ask your closest companion. Ask your closest companion what they think about what really makes you tick and where they really see that you're confident and where they really see when your insecurities are exposed. Because that will begin to enable you to think about what you're doing and how you're living and where you're living from and what you're living out of. You know, for me, I happen to ask my closest companion this. And for me, I get real confident if things are going well in the church. If you want to go deeper than that, you ought to, you ought to spend some time with me pre and post sermon. Because depending on how everything goes, yeah, I'm either doing really well and most of the time I'm not. What is it that if something were to happen to that in your life, you wouldn't know what to do? So the Apostle Paul is getting us to think about this. He's getting us to think about our righteousness. He's getting us to think about our identity. And the Apostle Paul is very serious about this. Because it seems as though people are teaching that it's Jesus plus something else. And it seems as though people are even living in such a way that it's Christ plus something. Here from the text, it looks as though it's circumcision. That there are those who actually believe that it's Christ plus circumcision. The Apostle Paul is saying, they don't even understand circumcision. They don't even understand it at all. They don't understand what it points to. They don't understand what it signifies. Because circumcision, the true circumcision, is really made up of three things. He tells you in the text. Someone who's genuinely, really circumcised is represented by those that worship in the Spirit. 
It's those who glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's those who have, look at the text, no confidence in the flesh. And apparently the confidence in the flesh seems to be the one of the three that the Apostle Paul thinks is most pressing for the people. Because he spends the rest of the verses that we read talking about confidence in the flesh. It's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, look, think about your righteousness. Think about your identity. Think about who you listen to that tells you what's right and wrong. Think about who you listen to that tells you how you should and shouldn't behave. Think about what is it that could be taken away from you where you would think you lost everything if you didn't have it. What is it that you have that when you have it and when things are going well, your confidence is through the roof? Think about it. Because if you really want to build your life on your resume, if you really want to build your life on your accomplishments, then listen to mine, the Apostle Paul says. You want to live by the things that you've done? Listen to mine. Listen to my list. Listen to my resume. Listen to my accomplishments. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. My family didn't wait. As a matter of fact, when God says circumcise them on the eighth day, when God says mark out your children, my, my family did it exactly at the right moment. They didn't wait to day nine. They didn't do it ahead of time on day seven. They did it exactly on the day that God said. On the eighth day. I'm an eighth dayer, the Apostle Paul saying. I'm an eighth dayer. Not only that, but he goes on. It's not just that he was circumcised, is it? Look at what he says. He also would consider himself of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, what Paul's saying there is that I've got a really loyal family. My family has been loyal to God for generations. There were all kinds of God's people of the 12 tribes. Ten of them just walked away from God for a long time, but not my family. My family was part of the tribes that stayed, stayed faithful to God. Through thick and thin, my family heritage is following God. I was a real Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a purebred. I didn't convert sometime later into this faith. I was born into it. I was a purebred. I knew it from the beginning. Not only that, but I was a Pharisee. I was educated. I didn't just have all the family pedigree. I wasn't just circumcised on the eighth day. I was educated in all the ways of God. I heard it. I was taught it. And oh, by the way, the Pharisees were so concerned about following God's law that they took the law of God and they added 600 more laws to it just to make sure that they accounted for every contingency and life experience that you could have. So you see, it's not just that I heard the law of God. I was, I was actually trained in such a way that people took what God said and worked it out. So that every question of my life was answered according to, allegedly, God's word. See, I was a Pharisee. I was an educated person. Even more than that, I was a persecutor. You see, it wasn't just that I... Grew up in this home. It wasn't just that I had amazing, an amazing education. It was that I took that education and didn't only live it out in my life. I actually engaged those that didn't agree. 
As a matter of fact, I went on the offensive because I wanted to protect God's people. So I was pursuing those that didn't agree. I was persecuting them. I was living my life in such a way that I was a leader. I was leading others based on what I knew, based on who I was. You see, that's why Paul would say that he was blameless. You see, it's not that Paul would say, you know, it's not. The Apostle Paul wouldn't say, I never sinned. He would say, I followed everything. So where I've sinned, I just followed what God said about what happens with that sin. I offer my sacrifices, I did what I was supposed to do, done. So whenever you think about me in relationship to God, and whenever you think about me in relationship to his law, I was blameless. I was blameless. And the Apostle Paul is getting at all this because he's trying to help us see that the message of Jesus and the message of Christianity is absolutely revolutionary. It's far deeper and bigger than we often think. You see, we all know that we have shortcomings. I doubt any of, any of you in this room would, would affirm that you're perfect. And in Christianity, we call shortcomings sin. That we fall short of what God intends for us and how we are supposed to live. And Paul knew that he fell short, just like we would all admit that we fall short. But there's more. You see, the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that if you really want to build your righteousness and build your identity based on your resume and your achievements and your accomplishments and all that you have done, this is what's going to happen. You will always be tempted to think that where you excel, you don't need the Lord Jesus. You will always be tempted to think that where you excel, you won't need Christ. The Apostle Paul says here, look at my resume. Look at it. My resume actually only communicates how lost I am. My achievements only communicate that I had gained nothing. As a matter of fact, he would say that he counts all of his credentials as nothing. Actually, Apostle Paul would say that he considers all his credentials as loss. Actually, he would say that he considers all of his achievements and all of his resume, the things that we all depend on to define who we are, he says, actually, I consider them rubbish. You know what that means. Excrement. Dung. You know those, things, those words that we don't really use too much? There are other words that I could use, but maybe, maybe you will allow me to try to shock you in the way that the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate to his people. He was saying it's all crap. All my resume, look at it. It's just a big pile of crap. It stinks and it smells. And it defines everything that I am depending on or was depending on to define my relationship with God, others, and the world. I was leaning and living on my resume. The best, beloved, the best of what you bring to the table 
is just excrement. The Apostle Paul says that actually he had to be found. Being found. Listen to these words. Listen to what he says. Listen to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection don't simply address our shortcomings. They don't simply address your shortcomings. They address all of your righteousness. They address all of your resume. They address all of your accomplishments. The gospel, the message of Christianity, really gives you a brand new identity. A brand new identity. It reminds us that God sees us through Jesus. It reminds us that we can say that we have been found in Christ. In other words, what Christ has done is to satisfy all that God requires. You see, it's wonderful to know that the righteousness of someone, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, is finally enough to admit that yours and mine is not. What Christ has done is good enough to finally admit that you will never be good enough and that what you've done and who you are is never going to be good enough. A number of years ago, there was a president of a seminary and a college named Robertson McQuilkin. And he wrote this article a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that now, and shared about his life, in particular, some pretty difficult things in his life. He shared about the relationship that he had with his wife as they discovered that she had Alzheimer's. And as you can imagine, the first time that he knew things were going on with his wife and they ended up going to the doctor and the doctor began to look at the situation and the symptoms and on and on and on and communicate to him, I think your wife has Alzheimer's. He was really shocked and offended. Well, this can't be. No, no way. She doesn't have this. But as they got second opinions and on and on, they realized it was true. His wife had Alzheimer's. And after the initial shock, then they had to figure out how in the world they were going to move forward with their life. And as time went on, his wife was an author and a public speaker. I think she even had a little radio show and at times was even on t uh, TV. And you see... He could tell, as her husband, he could tell over time that she was losing her mind. And sometimes she would recognize it, but most of the time she wouldn't. So you see, she still tried to fulfill all of her responsibilities. So she would travel and speak at conferences, and yet they wouldn't go very well. 
for obvious reasons. People stopped asking for her services. And then the even deeper thing is that as time went on, she didn't even really realize that. And as time went on, she got more and more afraid of being away from him. So with the demands of his job and with travel and teaching and all the things that you have to do as a president of a seminary and a college, she grew more and more terrified when he wasn't there. They happened to buy a house that was about half a mile from his office. And what he would find is that oftentimes as he left the home to walk to work, his wife would come out of the house with him because she wanted to be with him. And as the time went on and on, he started to be more and more burdened. And what was he going to do to care for his wife? There were even times at night when he would help her get dressed for bed and he would find out as he began to take off her shoes that her feet would be all bloody. Presumably because she had been running back and forth to his office and home in her bare feet. He had more and more advice from his friends that would say, you know, what you need to do is institutionalize your wife. What you need to do is you can't fix this anyway, so there's nothing wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty about institutionalizing her so that you can continue to fulfill your callings and what you need to do. Well, at 57, roughly 57, 58 years old, he determined that it was best for him to resign from his job so that he could take care of his wife full time. His comments to that effect were, if I were to serve my wife for 40 more years, I would still be in her debt. When people would ask him about this decision, he would say, look, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. When we think about our righteousness and when we think about who we are and we think about our identity and we think about not only the negative things about us, but also all the positive things that we think we've done and all that we have accomplished and all of our resume. It's so hard to illustrate the power of that and to see Christ there and to be found in Him. You see, the whole point is not to illustrate in order to make you feel some level of guilt so that you might do some radical thing for God. The whole point of the gospel is that you're not trying to find something more fulfilling He was not trying to find something more fulfilling in his love for his wife. The truth was that someone more fulfilling found him. And that was Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, if we're honest with ourselves, we often build our confidence around our resume and accomplishments. And we become very insecure whenever something on our list of accomplishments and resume is challenged or questioned or we're losing something there. And you remind us here today in Philippians 3 that our Savior didn't come just to 
make up for the ways that we failed you. It's that all of the righteousness that we could ever have, our pedigree, our educational background, our professional resume, that all these things are genuinely, truly, purely rubbish. And that you look at us through what Christ has done. And that we are literally, completely, finally, fully, eternally found in Him. That our righteousness is not in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the righteousness that we receive by faith. Lord, help us to remember that faith is not something that we create. That faith is really what we're clinging to and claiming. And that's Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.